Looks like we're on, we're on. Bust up out the back, Spider! You little ripper. <laughs> this week, Herb, we want to chat about whales. Yeah. Well, they come up the east coast and the west coast of Australia. Yep. And I, I caught up with a professor who has been specialising in the movement and in whales for 40 years. Over 40 years. Cool. So we'll listen to that in a minute. But what about your experiences with whales out there on the water? So, yeah, definitely, Spy. I did a lot of offshore fishing. Uh, had a lot of close run-ins with whales. And most of them look placid. And they're beautiful. And, oh, look at them. They're pretty whales. And but whales can be uh, very dangerous. You know, like, obviously, you're not allowed to have your engine on within, I think, 50 metres. I could be wrong with yeah, this. Yeah, about that. Yeah, and it, it, there's certain rules and regulations to approaching them and whatever. Uh, we had one one night. We were snapper fishing off the Gold Coast. Uh, had my daughter, and um, we were out in the boat, and I heard these whales, lots of them. Couldn't see them. Dark, black moon night. Could not see a thing, but heard them blowing up, and you you could tell they weren't happy. Oh. Uh, yeah. Just, They're a bit grumpy. Yeah, you could just hear them, and they were, they were doing a lot of, you know, blowing the water up out the blowhole, and you could just hear it, and it wasn't the... The natural placid thing. It just sounded a bit deceiving. All of a sudden, out the blue, this whale decides it's going to breach. And I talk breach. All we seen was white belly, two white fins, and this thing got nearly all out the water, and it looked like a high-rise lifting out of the sea. It would have, like, if you're in your boat, it would have, like, looked nearly fake, like the movies. It was. It was. And it was that close to us. When it came out and landed, we got wet. Really? That close. And it frightened me. I grabbed the knife, ran up to the front to cut the anchor. And I thought, do I cut it and lose me anchor and risk them getting tangled in it or whatever? So I took the time slowly. I was packing one because I thought, they're not happy with me being in that area. Maybe they had cubs, whatever Uh, it may have been, you know. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it was a very scary time. We then pulled the anchor up and slowly mowed it off because couldn't see nothing. Yeah. I didn't want to hit one. But, um, yeah, very scary moments. There are also footage all over the internet of whales landing on boats, people getting too close. Yeah. Like I the... wouldn't be in a kayak. Imagine a kayak. Oh, too frightening. These things weigh a couple of tonnes. Like, they'd squash you. I went to uh, at, a, at Harvey Bay yeah. uh, before we hear it from the professor. I went up there. I've never been on a whale boat. And I actually went out to have a look, and yep. they're impressive animals. Oh, massive big creatures. And to see them when you're fishing and see them come past you, and they're just doing their thing, uh, yeah, it's a very, it's a cool sight to see. So to learn more about the whale and the whale industry here in Harvey Bay, Dr. Wally, you've been studying whales for how long? 30 years. Since 30 1989, years. we first came to the bay. And why, why is it such an important area for... For whales, for the humpback whale it is. It's an important area for the humpback whales because of the geography of Harvey Bay. Harvey Bay is formed by Fraser Island, which in itself is an amazing place. It's, a, it's, a, it's the largest and longest sand island in the world. And it pushes out away from the coast almost to the continental shelf. So it's such an easy access area for the whales. Now. To understand its importance, you've got to look at the different classes of humpback whales that are coming here, and the predominant class are the mature females. They lead the migration in, and they tail the migration out. In the early part of the migration in August, the mature females come in. The reason they come here is because the bay 
is a beautiful protected shallow bay and the females come in to use that shallow water to look after the young ones. In, the, in August they're looking after the immature cohort and that, that's whales from about uh, the age of one to six and they travel with that immature cohort. Those females are either resting from having a calf or newly pregnant. Now in the latter part of the season, from um, during September and October, you've got the mature females who, who've had a calf this season and are lactating and traveling with the calf and feeding. And they run through September and October. Now, uh, and again, the bay is a perfect place for females to look after those young calves, to socially prepare them for their life as a whale. And in particular, to prepare them for the return to Harvey Bay the following year as yearlings, because by the time they get back from their first trip to Antarctica for feeding, the calf is separated from mum and joins the young cohort. Now that is what makes Harvey Bay a globally unique whale watching destination. The first of all, the, the wonderful geography of the bay, its shallowness, the protectiveness of Fraser Island, but then the classes of humpback whales coming in here provide a variety of viewing across the season so that any week you come, you'll see something different, experience something different. Yep. So if you come at the beginning of the season, you'll have the young whales who are very curious and interactive with the whale boats. The local whale operators call them the August whales because they're so friendly. Then later in the season, you get the mums with the calves and they're utterly fascinating. And, and mums with calves do something different in Harvey Bay to what they do in the rest of the world. In Harvey Bay, mums and calves mix with each other and allow their calves to socialise. The largest group we've observed is seven mums and calves all together. Like a play group. Like a play group, all the calves playing, but the mums very carefully paying attention to how they're interacting with each other and keeping them safe. It's, and that's wonderful viewing if you're yeah. on one of these amazing Harvey Bay whale watch boats. You must be pretty happy though now that uh, you know this area, you've been here for 30 years, but it's a world heritage area for the humpback whale. Well, that I think is an amazing global marketing coup for Harvey Bay to be the first whale watch destination in the world to be recognized for whale heritage listing is, uh, is a really great achievement. And the reason that Harvey Bay was selected was because the, uh, the Whale Watch operators, uh, national parks and the community <clears throat> put so much effort into the establishment of an extremely high standard of whale watching uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s. The government initiated the process by declaring Harvey Bay a marine park in 89 and it was principally a marine park for the whales. Uh, and then the national parks and the operators worked together to develop uh, very uh, uh, well-informed educational programs so that people coming on board the vessels were learning well, as much as they could about the whales. I come here a couple of years ago and you know it never really interested me to go on a whale boat because I never knew, really understood too much. All that I knew is that we had a really big decline and over the you know, couple of last decades we've had a really good incline and I went out and when they turn the engines off and then the whales come up 
and you know the amount you learnt, but it was a fascinating experience. Just having them so close, I I couldn't believe it. How big they were, how gentle they were, how um, you know they were interested in us, like we were interested yeah. in them. That that's one of the great benefits of whale watching in Harvey Bay. That these whales uh, have grown up with the whale boats, uh, so they're used to them, and they interact with them. Uh, we actually did some research on this back in 1997. We looked at behaviour in Harvey Bay compared to behaviour out in the migratory pathway. In Harvey Bay, 14% of whale pods, humpback whale pods, pods including calves, stopped what they were doing, stopped their travelling and turned and came to the vessels. Now out in the migratory corridor, we did exactly the same uh, research with the same number of whales over the same number of period, and while migrating, they didn't stop. So. Harvey Bay is, a, is for them a special place yeah. as much as it is for us and the whale watchers. Well, you've been involved with them. What do you, say, what, what do you love about them? You know, because they are fascinating creatures. Well, w what I love about them is that <clears throat> what you're dealing with is a great and ancient culture. Now, one of the interesting things that's occurring in whale research uh, really in the last decade is that young scientists are beginning to explore uh, culture in whales and dolphins. Now, humpback whales sing, as you probably well know. We had the great pleasure in 98 of recording Migaloo oh, when yeah. he was in yeah. the bay. And we have a CD, and he's track three on the CD. Now, this, these, this singing is incredibly complex. <laughs> On the CD we put five years ranging from 92 to 2008 and each year is dramatically different. So what happens is in a season all the whales sing the same song, they go to Antarctica and when they return they've started a new, song, a new song and they, and they all adapt it. Now what's even more fascinating than that is the songs they sing on the east coast of Australia spread to other groups of humpbacks across the Pacific. So if you hear the song here in a particular year, the following year in Tonga, yeah. you'll hear the Tongan song and you'll hear parts of the Harvey Bay song. It's absolutely yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. fascinating. Yeah. What do you say to people that uh, have never seen, gone out to see the whales? Oh, it's a lost experience for them. Their, their, life, their life won't be complete till they get on a whale watch boat and go and spend time, particularly with the humpback whales, who, who are one of the most surface active whales and um, incredibly interactive with whale uh, vessels. And that makes them a great, uh, uh, it's a great opportunity. I call Harvey Bay Cavern Bar. Cavern Bar is an indigenous language word meaning meeting place. And, uh, you know, I see Harvey Bay as an incredible meeting place between humans and whales, where the whales are obviously learning about those strange creatures on the vessels, those little sticks on the vessels, and the people on the vessels are learning about the whales. And of course, the whale watch operators provide a very high standard of information, which is fantastic. At one stage, the whale numbers were really down. Yeah, the, uh, the Eastern Australian humpback whales were in fact taken to the edge of extinction. In the early 60s, 
after a particularly savage period of whaling, particularly in Antarctica, but also on the east well, coast of Australia. We've travelled around yeah. Albany in WA, Warrnambool in Victoria. Yeah. They have whaling stations. Yeah. And well, so did like Tangaluma on Brisbane and yeah. Byron Bay had whaling stations. Right? But in the early 60s, of what we estimate to be a pre-whaling population of about 40,000 Eastern Australian humpbacks, only 150 individuals survived. And of that 150, a handful were mature breeding individuals. So it's, uh, it's really uh, uh, fortunate that they managed to claw their way back. It took from the early 60s to the early 90s for the group to go from 150 to 1,000. So when we first came here in 89, there were literally a handful of whales here. But between uh, 1990 and 2010, the group have grown very steadily at, at, a, at a relatively high rate. And this year, they're almost back to that 40,000 level, which is, that, is a phenomenal environmental good news story. Yeah, is that just seems to be the peak? Like 40,000 just seems to be the number? It, 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 it likely will be. It's something that's uh, very interesting for uh, we marine biologists, we're, um, we're very interesting to watch this process of, you know, w what are going to be the factors that will lead to the number of births and deaths evening out so the population will reach, uh, you know, the, a, a natural biological level. Whales play an incredibly vital part in the maintenance of the grasses of the ocean. It's called phytoplankton, technically and the krill feed on that, and the whales feed on the krill. And after the whales have fed, they fertilize and bring nutrients into the whole process and encourage the uh, grass to grow. Now, the grasses of the ocean provide somewhere between 50 and 85% of the world's oxygen. They, they produce more oxygen than do the forest on the land. So that ocean eco-environment is vital to the survival of the planet and of course, vital for the survival of the whales. It's amazing. It's so fascinating. Love chatting to the professor, but it really does now post a question for you, Herb. Do we ban shark nets? Oh, look, because a lot of these whales, think, a lot of the juveniles get caught in some of these the, nets along the east coast. Of yes, that's right. And yes, do I think so? I don't think the shark nets should be in. This is a very controversial thing. I know. Me. Obviously, whales stopped getting hunted in the 70s, became protected. There wasn't many passing up the coast, maybe a couple of hundred even. Or Have you ever been to then. a whaling station? Well, there's not, I don't think. No, uh, no, no. Like An old one. An old one. Well, Boron Bay was one. Yeah. Tangaluma was one. They had, um, that's why they call it Wine Glass Bay. There you go. Because that's the red was from whaling, wasn't that's it? That's right. I yep. think. From the blood. And, and I've been to one over the other side in WA, down the bottom of it, Albany. Yep. And sad, but still fascinating. Very fascinating. Yeah, very sad at the time when it was done. I mean, they were using the, the, the blub. I don't know how it all worked out, but that, that's what they did back then. Yeah. Now we've got tens of thousands of them coming up the east coast every year. Now, with whales, bring sharks. It, they just, and I'm not talking little sharks. I'm talking great whites. Yeah. Because they follow the whale, uh, the whale especially in calving time. Uh, little calves an easy feed for a big great white, and if one whale dies of old age, exhaustion, was, uh, it's a massive sh shark feeding frenzy spider. 
So I think with the more whales coming up, we're seeing more and more great whites. We are seeing more and more attacks on humans. Okay. That's my theory. I'm not going to go into anything else no, about no. it. Because nope. some people get very temperamental about this in whales. Uh, but that's a fact. More whales, more sharks. Uh, do we need the shark nest to protect the people? Yes. Is it a bother that we've got whales getting tangled up in them? Yes, because that's just attracting more sharks to an easy feed. It's a very controversial situation. I say pull the nets out. Yep. Let the whales do their thing because if they're moving on, the sharks are going with them. Okay. So very uh, controversial. Uh, we won't go into too no, much about... No, that's it. Yep. I think Thank we'll you very much, right Herbert. <laughs> I've got another question for you. I can use this. Yeah. Um, are we allowed to? Now, Herb, I've got a question from Justin here. Yep. And he says, Herb, why don't you tag a couple of fish so we can see what their movements are? Are we allowed to tag fish? Yes, we are. And a lot of marlin get tagged by recreational fishermen. They log it in with it. There's an app now. I think you can log in your tag number uh, if you catch a fish that's tagged. A mate of mine... No, no, but he's talking more so you can, like, with... With like a GPS a, a system with a tracker. Well, I think they do it with sharks a lot. That is, and marlin, there have been a lot that have done it. So can, you can you do it movements. personally? I'm not sure that you can. You've got to be one of the licensed fisheries. I would say so because it's all for education. It's for study. Uh, you probably could if you didn't tell no one. I'm not real sure on the rules there. Because what happens if we, and I know they've got the million-dollar fish up in... Darwin. Yeah. Okay. Northern Territory, the million dollar barra. Never been caught. A couple of 10,000 ones have been. Yep. But what happens if we tag a barra in Queensland? Yep. And we have a GPS on it? Yep. And we put up a prize to, for those to catch it? I think mean, it'd be a great a, a competition. I think it'd be awesome. And how many people would put in to go target it? And only we would know where it is. No, you can open the app up. And allow them to see oh. where it is. So they could, there'd be 25 people following around. It'd be like Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> they'd be all following around the GPS looking for an invisible fish yeah, they but, can't see. But you've still got to get you still got to bite it. You know what I mean? you still yeah, got to well, catch it. Yeah, well, that's true. That's you true. Feed, you can take a horse to water. And can't make it drink. And that's the biggest thing too is <laughs> you, you can have fish turn on a feeding time like that. You know, boom, and they'll turn on. And you can have fish that are there that won't eat. So that's a, probably a good point. You know I what mean? I you, you're giving them every access, but every you're still going to catch it. Every chance and opportunity to catch it. Not a bad idea. I did have a mate catch a fish that was tagged once, a Jewfish. And now he'd, he'd rang up, reported the numbers, and this Jewfish travelled from, uh, I'm pretty sure it was down past Coffs Harbour. Yep. They tag a lot of fish down there, especially Mulloway, because they put uh, stocks in the rivers down there. Okay. Mulloway, okay? So they breed them and that's where your fishing licenses go to. He caught the fish in southeast Queensland in the seaway uh, along the rock wall there and it was a reasonable sized fish. That fish had travelled 450 kilometres. Well, they did that. The only reason I thought it was a good good um, question from Justin was the fact that they, they've done one in New Zealand, Waihe, where uh, Cherie's, my wife, her parents are from. Yep. And uh, they've watched it and it goes all the way up to the current. From the Coromandel all the way up, all the way up to the Bay of Islands. Wow, the Great White. And oh, big white, yeah. yeah. And it's amazing to watch where it actually travels, how far it travels, yeah, how quick it travels, and then where it hangs around before it comes back. It's pretty fascinating. It is a good study, and that gives us all a bit of an idea on uh, what they're doing, what they're thinking, because they it sort of travel. I wouldn't say together. 
No. But they're travelling where the food is, you know, bait schools are are breeding and, and, and fish are doing their thing, whale carving, you know. So certain times of year this happens, that's where the sharks travel to looking for fish. I've got another one for you this week. A local legend, really. The Harvey <laughs> Bay Ingenia over 50s. What can we say? She's the caretaker. She's the she's the ingenious freak up there at the over 50s, and they're all freaks up there. Happy hour, let me tell you. But uh, she's been on twice before. It's probably two of the best stories oh, I've well, heard. Hang on. So two weeks ago, she told us about her hubby catching a 110-centimetre barrack yep. in a comp. We were flicking along the weed edge, as you do, and, oh, my God, a huge explosion. Hubby got... This 110 barra. Oh, it was brilliant. Oh, that is what, like a life. Oh, that is that is a lifetime catcher. A like, metre barra. That is the PB. That that is the it pinnacle of barra fishing. Caught the fish well, got it in the boat. Yeah. And we we've got the ribbon on it as you do. You've got to take the photo for proof and evidence. Yeah. Yes. And Hubby was he did a happy dance and all the yelling and carrying and the swearing that he does. Yeah. But on release of it. Uh, it was my job. I got a fitch, picture of it releasing and I didn't put the cord around my wrist so the camera went to the bottom of the water. No oh, way. <laughs> he never caught it. He's got no evidence. Oh, how devastated Shit. would he have been? Oh, he gave me the death star from hell. Oh. Last week, you told us about a mate of yours out there fishing. He lost his balance. And he was at the back of his boat and he got onto this good fish, but he stepped backwards and lost his balance and his good rod, because he's a really good rod, make, rod maker, um, the rod, the line and the fish that he had on went completely overboard. No. And I oh, look, I swear, I'm sure we heard him around the corner from where he was and swearing and carrying on, but... Can Pretty I, devastating when you've got a good unit of, of you know, your line and your rod oh, and everything goes can you over. Ever, can, this is going to be a silly question, and shows you might be able to answer this or Herb, and me not being a, a, you know, a knowledgeable fisherman is great. Yeah. Um, can you get that rod back or does that go? Hey, oh, okay. Here we go. After lunch, after lunch, we went for a bit of a troll because we have been flicking all morning about, for like about 1,000 casts. And we just did a bit, a bit of a troll. Um, and I actually hooked up to the rod, the line, and the fish was on the end no of the rod. No way! <laughs> That's cool. oh. And even better, they let me use the fish for the comp. No <laughs> way! So someone else hooked the fish, lost the rod, yes. you caught the rod and the fish, and you waded in. I still waded in. Don't you worry oh. about that. <laughs> You're a bloody legend. I love you. I'll tell you what, this is absolute uh, pisser. But you've got another one for us. Oh, go on. I have. I've got another one here, and, and I want to ask you guys a couple of things about it too, but I'll tell yeah. you about it. Um, again, on the water, another comp. Gee, all these comps. Um, but we were being on this corner. The wind was blowing on the corner. Perfect scenario for a fish, and we were there for about an hour and a half, flicking at this damn corner, waiting for something to bite us. And um, our good old friends, uh, Pete and Paul, well, we could hear him coming around the corner and they're very, you know, he's just freaky. Paul, uh, Pete is very freaky at fishing. Turns up at our spot and we just move slightly right, ready, you know, to have that chat in the midday when things got a bit slower. You can have a chat over the boats. And the buggery said to us, you watch me. I'll flick it right over there and I'll, I'll pull the fish out. And I'll go, yeah, oh, yeah, right, no. And he did. And he pulled out a 500 bass oh. and it was a trophy. It was a damn good bass. So From under your wanna, nose. Under my nose, under our nose. Oh, so gee. I want to ask you guys, has it happened to you where 
you know, you're on a spot, you've been waiting and working all day, flicking and flicking, and then someone comes along, maybe uses a different colour lure or try something else and just whams it straight out of you. Has it happened to you? Oh, yep. To be honest, I'd punch him. <laughs> has, it, has it happened to you, Bud Spider? Uh, or have you done it to somebody else? I would have done it to somebody else. Yeah, no, 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 I no, I haven't. To be honest, I'm not that good a fisherman. But uh, look, that's tough. You can't cut yeah. someone's lunch like that. Well, it is. What about you, Herb? Yeah, I, I've done it to somebody. Uh, my story was, Shaz uh, and Spider, I'd known a bloke who was fishing in the Seaway because I live in uh, southeast Queensland on the Gold Coast. Now, fishing for Jew. And I went out with me mate and we went out and we pulled up to see him. How you going? You getting it? Nah, it's dead in here. And I said to me mate, don't let that get you down. Let's get some baits and we'll have a go. We gone out, got some baits and come back. And I reckon it took us all of about nine to ten minutes and we pulled three dew. No, I think we pulled five dew up all over a metre, and we anchored right next to them, oh. and they still never <laughs> caught a fish, but we were only allowed four, so we gave them one and left, and we were gone within 20 minutes. <laughs> the looks on their faces oh, was just horrible, but we gave them a fish. Oh, that's good. Oh, well, at least that's one thing, because if they're probably listening to your podcast and you hadn't given them the fish, they wouldn't have been too happy with you. No, yeah. no, and see, now they know who you are. I must admit, I would do it. <laughs> But I'd do it mainly at the pokies. If I see someone <laughs> jump off a pokey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the funny thing was, Shaz, they did know who we are. I let them know that we knew who we are. They knew who we were. And I let them know that we cleaned up. It didn't take him long. We only left and went 20 metres. He pulled the anchor up and moved over 10 metres to fish the same <laughs> patch of reef. I tell you what, it was the funniest thing. But I want to know, Shaz, what's your hubby's name? Alan. Alan. Al. Big Al. Big, big Al. Al. Al, yeah. mate. All right. She lost your big metre 10 in the comp. But yes. you're a very lucky man, Alan. <laughs> a very lucky man. Can we I ask? I hope he's listening. Uh, <laughs> hey, Chaz, before we let you go, and we do appreciate you, you know, spending time with us over the last uh, couple of weeks and, and telling us some cracking stories. But as you mentioned, like another comp, another comp, how good are some of these comps to get involved in? Yeah. The people you oh, meet, brilliant. the people you fish with. Yes. Just tell us a little bit quickly about the inside of a comp that people might oh, not have look. been a part of. Yep. I'll tell you what, you get away, you have a great time. There's some really good people that you meet. It's well organised. Um, they've got a lot of family comps as well. So if you've got young kids, instead of them being on the iPhones and the the, the tablets and things, get them away. Yeah. Go and have a good time. Grandkids. Yeah, grandkids, the works. It's just a fun time. And sometimes we all don't take our time to relax. We're too busy on being on a treadmill that you don't stop. Whereas you go away here, kids just absolutely have a great time because there's other kids there so it gives you space but you actually get to talk adult and you get to enjoy being on the water um relaxing oh geez it does you a great job and i really think people need it these days so you look around look around what some of these family um fishing tournaments that you see and there's plenty down the gold coast wherever you live up at harvey bay wherever you may be just have a look because it does you the world of good and your family yeah well there you go that's, that's right Chaz. you can't be you, mm. you're not wrong there it, it, it is it is the best mental awareness you can put uh, into. Oh, what? How can I say it? It is. It is. It is so good for your mental health 
to be out on the water, enjoying time mm. out at these events when they're not too stressful. It's not too much, oh, I'm this, I'm that, blah, blah, blah. You just go yeah. out, you yeah. have a good time, you have a beer, you have a feed, you catch a few fish, you let yeah. the kids run rampant, and they're having a good time. It is the best mental health thing anybody can do in their life. And that's Actually, what I mate, want and you go home energized. You go home energized, and getting up for work on a Monday is far better because you've actually done something and you feel good about it. So, get oh, out there, Shaz, get and do it. Shaz, you're starting to make too much sense for this podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, All right, guys, I'm thanks. off. Bye. That's it. Another one down next week. Make sure you do download the episode. We are talking prawns. We got another story for you, but. The highlight for me is we're going fishing in Kenya. What they catch in Kenya, you will not believe. Stay safe on the water. Over.